Good evening, everyone. This is Big Said, Industry Cosign, coming back once again after a brief layoff. And um, I have my man, DJ Babe, in the house, the owner of, oops, sorry, the owner of Motor City Popcorn. Let me give you a brief bio of my featured guest for the day before we start. DJ Babe, well, I'll let him tell his um, his real name when he gets on, but <laughs> DJ Babe from Pittsburgh, originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is a veteran DJ, business owner, and author, among many other things to claim. He, he received his first set of turntables in 1984 and has been playing on the one and twos ever since. His career includes stints as an on-air radio mixer with WJLB in Detroit, Super Radio Syndication, as well as both XM and Sirius Radio before the two merged together. He is known for his career as a mixtape DJ, releasing many titles that were sold all over the world with recognition from MTV, The Source Magazine, and many others. He was also the owner of a well-known mixtape website, mixtapedjs.net, which distributed mixtapes from the top DJs and artists of that time. In, 1990, in, in 2012, he created a gourmet popcorn business, Motor City Popcorn, which today operates from its own retail storefront in Detroit and distributes its products to stores across the country, including casinos in Las Vegas and Detroit, airports, museums, grocery stores, and can be found inside of several Ford Motor Auto Plants. His popcorn brand has worked with companies such as the NFL, Hennessy Moe, Comcast, Domino's Pizza, and others. In 2002, 2022, DJ Bay released his first book titled, I Finally Wrote This Book, which is a collection of stories from his past as a DJ traveling the United States and eventually transitioning to starting a popcorn brand. Today, he still DJs in various locations in Detroit and plans to grow both the popcorn and DJ brand in years to come. So once again, I introduce DJ Babe, <laughs> currently in Detroit. Yes. CEO, owner of Motor City Popcorn. Welcome. What's up? As we say in Detroit, what up, though? <laughs> Chilling, man. You know, just trying to get back in the swing of things. Um, yeah, yeah. Once again, thank you for allowing me the the, the opportunity to speak to you and um, to get this podcast re. We grow, we go, whatever I would, I don't know. Up, because this is this is the third time I'm doing the podcast, entering the podcast game, and I think I'm here to stay this time. Definitely. And, I, and I'm glad that you've given me the opportunity to to speak to you as um, one of my first guests as I get it going. So we're going to start off by, um, I think um, the way I want to introduce is I want to let, let the audience know that the way I want to do these is more like a discussion and conversation as opposed to an interview. So we'll just talk, whatever comes up, whatever happens, we'll go with the flow. But I definitely want to focus on you and your business, your time in the industry. And I, I think, um, I guess to pick up what led you to start DJing um, to get your mark going in order leading into your entrepreneurial business when it comes to the Motor City Popcorn? Okay. Um, as far as starting a DJ, so like for me, we moved to Detroit uh, in 78, I believe. 
Um, but my mom would always uh, send me and my brother back to Pittsburgh, like every chance she get. So I guess she was getting rid of us, <laughs> you know. So like sometimes, literally, man, she would drive us just there for the weekend. But at that time, in the early '80s, uh, Pittsburgh was was uh, it just had a, a stronger hip hop presence than Detroit did. So like I go to Pittsburgh, and you know the classic radio station WAMO, WAMO. And, uh, you know, they were just playing all this hip-hop. And trust me, you come to Detroit, you wasn't hearing it on radio in Detroit. So, I mean, I was just soaking up the hip-hop. When I tell you, I was, you know, I tried everything. My first intro on the hip-hop was breakdancing. And, uh, I mean, I tried graffiti, which was really just vandalism, you know, uh, as far as my stuff. You know, um, you know, I tried rapping. That sure wasn't it. But, uh, but breakdancing, I actually became pretty good. And actually, um, there was a crew here in Detroit called the Break of Tears, which was like a premier breakdance crew. Um, I was actually a member of it. We went on tour in the summer of 84, uh, a couple of Midwest cities and things like that. Um, and I was, uh, I have my claim to fame as the first uh, breakdancers on, on TV news in Detroit, summer of 84 as well. Uh, we were on the news. They actually came to my house, and they filmed us uh, in my driveway. And I still got it. It looks horrible. I'm sure it looked good at that time. Yeah, I, I, probably, man. We when you look at what the New York City Breakers was doing and and rock steady, no, <laughs> not us. <laughs> I grew up during that time, and I'm I'm, I'm good friends with um. Crazy legs, so yeah, yeah. Well, we was not that good. <laughs> maybe I should. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't see it. So, um, yeah. So, so I mean, I was just everything hip hop. I mean, everything. Man, I wanted to, you know, I was into the Pumas, you know, all kind of stuff. And uh, so, I mean, DJing was just another evolution. Um, I always had records. Um, I actually bought like literally where I spent. Well, my mama gave me some money, but. The first record that I bought uh, was a 45 of B-52's Rock Lobster. Uh, still have it as well. So by 83, 84, I literally had an actual record collection. Uh, so it was just kind of natural, you know, again, to get into the, uh, you know, the DJ. And once I got, you know, two turntables and a mixer in 84, um, I was like the neighborhood DJ. It's myself and a guy named Mark. Like We was doing like literally every house party like in a square mile radius you know and i dj'd in my school everything you know what i'm saying during that time so i just took off with the dj and just you know just stayed with it that's good okay then now um hip-hop during that time now of course me being in new york city it was thick it was definitely like the break dancing the graffiti the hip-hop i mean the um, the, the um mc and things of that nature how was it in Detroit at that time when you first entered it as a breakdancer before you actually got into the DJing aspect of hip hop? You know, I mean, it was it was it was growing. I mean, of course, New York was was, you know, just like the Mecca, the, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, we had our we had our pockets, you know, uh, we had our, you know, a lot of back then, a lot of the roller ranks. Uh, would, would be like where the breakers would meet up and kind of like the scene from, from, from B street, you know, everyone's going around the roller rink, 
we in the middle of it, you know, staring down each other, you know, saying and all that. And in school, definitely in school, you know, all the break dancers, the the uh, everybody on the lunch table, you know, rapping. I mean, it was there. And like for me, um, so I was the second person in my neighborhood to get a VCR. <laughs> so, I mean, I was. My man Marty was first. <laughs> so. I videotape everything, um, and I still still have these VHS tapes, um, like when Graffiti Rock came on. So the, when I have it on VHS, it's the actual time that it aired. Uh, you know, when you know LL Cool J on SNL, you know Run DMC on like every TV show. Um, I've got tons and tons and tons of uh, early hip hop film. You know, I used to record uh, Soul Beat, all of, you know, stuff, you know, some crazy stuff, Turbo and Shabadoo. I got all kind of clips of them. So, I mean, we were we were definitely into hip hop. We were definitely. Uh, Detroit had an early scene as far as guys putting records out around 86. So that's when you started, you know, putting actually, you know, uh, well, we had some before. We actually had, but by 86, you started to get good records for that time. You started to have records on the radio. You started, you know, guys doing shows. Uh, and, and again, I just collect a lot because I have flyers uh, of me as a DJ in 86. Um, definitely by 87, 88, I was doing a lot of hip hop shows as a DJ. So uh, so, so we, we, had a, we had a good scene, you know. You just went out for a second, so. But um, well, that's good. So, so, so explain like how 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 you ventured into actually DJing, um, you know, back in Detroit, in I guess '86 or after '86, after you knew you weren't going to be um crazy legs from break dancing. <laughs> well, I mean, by that you know by the mid to late '80s, the break dancing for me was was, was over. Um, <laughs> now I will say again, I ain't just you know trying to pat myself, but I was known. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Because I was in the break of tears and you had to be good to be in the break of tears. Yeah. Um, so I was known for break dancing. You know, I definitely had a buzz. And then when I got into DJing, uh, I mean, truthfully, um, you know, I, I was able to get a buzz doing that. But but for me, you know, give credit to my mom. She was just she would drop me off, take me to, you know, like every concert. I, I, some of the stuff, you know, I joke about. I went to my first concert, Fresh Fest in 83. Fresh Fest. And, and uh, I mean, because anything I asked my mom to do, she was doing it. And uh, and she, you know, I think about it, she, she, she dropped us off at a, at a, you know, at an arena downtown and, and left us and shit, you know. <laughs> Probably for good, but you, you, ended, you ended up getting back there, so. I mean, you think about it now, even like we went on tour in 84. Um, and I talked to her about this one day. These, she didn't even know these people. And you just let me just, you know, hop in a van with them. Because we left in a van. <laughs> you know, like, you ain't check them out. You ain't, they're like, yo, we want your son to go. She was like, all right. You know. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, I'm saying, man. I could be anywhere right now. So, so um, I was just able to be, like, I mean, anything, man. Like, I was at skating rinks. I was at clubs. I was at wherever. I was at other schools. You know, anything that was hip-hop, 
I was I was I just had to be there. You know what I'm saying? So I was able to to know like if it was somebody that had a buzz in the city, like I knew them. You know what I'm saying? Or you know what I'm saying? So so I was just even in the in the I'm gonna say you know late 80s I was like connected, you know, for who what was going on at, at that time. Um, you know, um, Christmas of '89, we did a we did a concert, Christmas Day '89. Uh, I mean, sold out venue. I got that on VHS tape too. I got the whole concert on VHS. Uh, <laughs> seriously, man, we it was called the Music Hall. Uh, we sold out, and um, and I was the first one on stage. It came out the DJ intro the show and stuff, you know. Uh, so so as we graduated to the '90s. Um, you know, that's when I started trying to get into the production. You know, 91, I did my, my first beat. Uh, of course, sound like trash. <laughs> sound like trash today, but, you know, um, but yeah, th then I wanted to, you know, get me an artist, produce, all that stuff. So it was myself and, like, three other guys, and some two of them was DJs as well. But we all started doing beats and stuff, and... And then we, you know, we, we all, you know, getting our artists and stuff. And then we really doing showcases. So, I mean, it was just from there. Um, let, me, let, me, let me interrupt you. During that time, what artists in your area was popular in order for you to, I guess, want to be involved within the hip hop realm? Like who was, who was popular in my area? Yeah. yeah. So for us, definitely uh, Chaos and Maestro. Um, and they were they were real good friends with Chuck D. I, at the time, I didn't know Chuck D. Grandparents actually live in Detroit, so uh, we didn't know why Chuck would, was always in Detroit. Um, but he but he ended up uh, getting cool with Chaos and Maestro, so he would he'd be at their studio and all kinds of, you know things of that. Um, huge Public Enemy fans as well too. But uh, then you had you know you had Prince Vince, you had Awesome Dre, uh, who Eminem shouted out at the. Uh, at his in, uh, induction, you had uh, Merth, the same other guy, Merthless Amir. Um, oh, uh, AWOL, man, AWOL was, was man, they had, a, they had a huge record here in Detroit. Uh, ended up getting signed to Atlantic Records as well, too. Um, Smiley, Detroit Box, um, Detroit's Most Wanted. Man, they had a huge record here as well, too. I mean, like, to this day, the same way, you know, if you're in a club, if I'm DJing in the club and I throw on, you know, Slick Rick Children's Story, I throw on a Run DMC, and you get a response. If I throw on Detroit's Most Wanted, I'm getting the same kind of response. Like, I play that in Detroit now. Hands is going up. Man, like, you know what I'm saying? They, they had the city on lock. And that's, that's the reason why I wanted to, to, to put, put a little bit of focus on the Detroit area because, of course, me being in the New York area, I don't know anything about Detroit hip-hop. Mm -hmm. I wanted to at least have you acknowledge the, the artists around that time so that way, you know, people watching will definitely understand um, from your area who you're talking about and I guess the importance of why, the, you know, they were important to you as far as your pursuit in the hip-hop game. So that's what well, the thing was just, I mean, we had tons, I mean, we had tons and tons of rappers, but putting it on wax made you premiere yeah. because that, that puts you in that small circle if you was actually, you know, on the record. Then if you had a record that was on the radio, I mean, you was a god. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you were a straight up guy because back then. Yeah, it was because it, it just wasn't happening. Yeah. So, you know, when 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 video jukebox came out, and again, that's when now people dropping videos left and right. The choice most wanted, AWOL, Smiley, all those guys, and they got videos and stuff. I mean, it was just these guys were, I mean, straight up celebrities. And I think that's why even today, when uh when you mention their name, um, I mean they they get the same respect as a New York uh, you know, uh, old school MC. Yeah. They, they pretty much get the same kind of respect, you know. So so yeah. You know, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to um to, to place that because I know that um particularly back in the eighties, nineties, when you know hip hop was definitely regional as opposed to nowadays where you know you, you have access to anyone, everything, and there was no such thing as social media, there was mm -hmm. no streaming service and things of that nature. So I know that um me, me, me living in New York. If I go to Detroit, more than likely, I'm not going to know who is the the popular artist of the of, of that area because it was regional. Right. So, you know, I, I guess um, let us know exactly like like what drove you to. I guess the, I guess what drove you into actually the aspects of DJing, as well as I guess MCing. Since you left the breakdancing realm at that time, well, like I said, I tried to rap. <laughs> I wasn't good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna lie, I wasn't good. Um, I never recorded anything, but you know, I tried to do shows and stuff as an MC. Just didn't work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but you know, like I said, I had a little buzz as a breakdancer, and when I got into uh, really, really put my foot into uh, the DJ, because like I said, by by 85 or so, 86, myself, my man Mark, we're doing everybody's party in my neighborhood. So we we own it. We own that square mile, you know, as far as house parties and, like I say, my school, all that stuff. I was I was the guy for DJing, um, mainly because, one, I, like I said, I, I had a record collection. And, you know, truthfully, I took my mother's records, you know. <laughs> Um, I took my grandmother's records. That's why she dropped you off at the band. <laughs> I mean, literally, like <laughs> her records ended up just going to the basement. Even, even my so my father, you know, Pittsburgh. Even him, I went to Pittsburgh one summer, and literally, I honestly stole his records because um, I put them in my suitcase. <laughs> you know, I came back with a stack of records and stuff, and uh, so I, I mean, I had music. Yeah. And 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 I still have every I, mean, I got everything, man, from 30, 40 years ago. I still have all my records as well, too. But um, so, I mean, I was just I, I was one of the guys looked to, uh, you know, for DJ. And, you know, saying honestly, thankfully, uh, you know, I mean, not again, just try to say it. But I mean, for who was out there, I, I mean, I had a buzz. I was getting out there. Truthfully, another story is we had two uh, well-known drug dealers. Uh uh, Tone and Dre, and Tone and Dre used to come over to my house, and I would make mixtapes for them. You know, for what it was. I'm just DJing live. We just sixty minute tape, just start playing some records, and they would sit in my basement and pick out the records while I'm doing it live. You know, put this on it, man. Put this on it. This, this, this. 
with Tone and Dre riding around playing my music, my mixes rather, that created a buzz. Yeah. I wish I knew back then to capitalize off, <laughs> you know. But I mean, I didn't know. And of course, Tony Dre, you know, give me twenty five bucks. Some I'm like, oh man, what the hell, you know, like, like damn. But that that era definitely uh, that that created a buzz for me to have those two guys playing, you know, my my mixes in their cars and stuff. You know, I never really told that story, but. I'm out to, <laughs> you know, Dre out of jail. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I'm about to tell him, call him up one day. Like, thanks, dog. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they helped with the start of um, DJ Babe. Yeah, it was, you know, because they was, they was, they was the street dudes, you know, and it's, and they ride through the hood playing these mixes, and you know, it was me. How, how did um? Fast forward to like because at that time there was really no internet in the way that we know of today, and you had uh, mix mixtapes.net, right? Dot net mixtape djs.net mixtapesdjs.net. Mm -hmm. What led you to actually start that? Because you know, as an entrepreneur, you know that wasn't that wasn't it it, it wasn't worldwide, so to speak, as it is today when it comes so, to internet. so I did my first actual like going into the idea of a mixtape 96. I actually went book studio time to make a mixtape. Uh, my first few mixtapes on cassette, I actually was a book of studio time, going in there and literally just mix. And he would just hit record. Stupid now, just paying that money, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, but um, so by, I was actually one of the first DJs in Detroit to come out with uh, a CD. I came out with my first CD uh, January of 98. You know, so again, uh, when, you know, the whole mixtape thing, you know, I definitely was one of the one of the top people in the late 90s. So as we transition to the 2000s, uh, for me, so so the way I was getting exposed to people outside of my market uh, in 99, I started working. Uh, no, 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 no. In 98. I started working with Arista Records, you know, under my girl, Lisa Coleman. 99 is when I started working at JLB. So by being at Arista 98 is when I found out why well, I kind of knew about Jack the Rapper. But that's when I kind of really knew about all these music conferences. And, and that's when I started going out. So, um, you know, let's being with JLB. Let, hmm? Let's explain to people what Jack the Rapper and music conferences were back then, because for, for some for some people who may be watching, we don't have the music conferences like we did when we were coming up. Like that was a big aspect of the music industry at the time. And, yes. Um, yes. Music conferences were basically a gathering of DJs, MCs, music executives who were involved in the hip hop that like like I guess that came together to I guess exchange uh, networking. Um, premiering new music, um, introducing new artists and things of that nature. So that way people will actually, we, we had um, How Can I Be Down, um, Jack the Rapper, New Music Conference in New York. Um, like Urban Network. Urban Network. Um, Impact. Impact. Yeah, so I, I, I met your ass. And back then, like, birth what we know today, like, whether it's what the, 
the record pools and things of that nature. But Jack the Rapper was one of those conferences where like industry heads got together to basically network and um help me. Um to basically I mean, it was it was it was a place that if you were if you wanted to be in the music game as an artist, as a uh, executive, as a DJ, yeah. as a whoever, if you want just to be the, the mailroom guy, the yeah. music conference was the place to be, hands down. You had you were looking to elevate, you were looking to do anything to create a buzz, hands down. You had to be at the conference, and mm-hmm. and uh, this is before I got turned on to that. That's when I started meeting, um, you know, uh, people from outside of my market. And and uh, so again in Detroit, I'm sell- selling mixtapes. I'm selling them. You know, um, to go back to the '90s, uh, I started. There was a guy here, well-known guy, Sean P. Sean P. was the first person in Detroit to do street team for, for record labels. And when I met Sean P., you know, as a DJ, he's telling me come over his house and get records. And I go over his house and I see all these damn records, man. What the hell going on? This, this, you know. And again, I'm a person, I'm just soak up opportunity. Yeah. And so Sean, I'm like, I want to do what you do. And so Sean had me out doing street team for him. So I was going out, putting the poster boards up, this and that. And then I start going out to the to the record stores, you know, putting posters up and yada yada. So by the time I got into mixtapes. I had a relationship with all the independent record stores. Everybody knew me. Uh, so I was able to walk in with my mixtapes. And I and since I was already doing street promo, I know about put your poster up here. I know I know about a light box. I know about point of sales and this, this. Well, I need mine there. I need a picture of me there. So uh, I treated my mixtape the same way I was treating a, a record label. And that's how I was able to create a buzz here in the city. But once I met people outside my market, I'm like, they making real money. I'm looking at what I'm making. I'm meeting other guys on mixtapes. And, you know, they driving new cars and, you know, all this. Like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So. uh you you off to a van. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey. So, truthfully, uh, you know, uh, back then it was, uh, I forget the name of that website, but my man Tape Master was running the website. And uh, uh, and I got on the website, and you know, back then the web, the uh, internet had message boards. Yeah. And you get on the message board, and that's man, I'm connecting with everybody. I was trying to get on. Uh, I believe it was MixUnit. MixUnit.com. Uh, found out my man Clinton Sparks was one of the owners. Clinton Sparks. And uh, so I hit Clinton up because by this time I know him, and he would not put my mixtapes on there. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? You know, so uh, there was another guy. Uh, I met a guy named Mike. I forget the name of his website, too, but he had a site. And Mike, uh, he put mine on his site, but he said, get your own. That way you always got, you know, a website to, to sell your product. And uh, I'm like, bet. And that's exactly what I did. You know, truthfully, I borrowed 2500 from my grandmother. Um, I hired somebody to design a website. Again, by me being on, uh, uh, you know, these message boards, by me traveling and going to conferences, I know other guys. So initially, yeah, it was for me to sell my stuff, but I was I had access to like all the other, you know, uh, mixtape guys. So the site ended up doing way more than what I thought it could be. 
I mean, it did great. I ain't gonna lie. Um, I actually was buying rental. I, I was buying credit. I was buying homes. You know, rental properties. I was buying. I was now driving new vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally at the dealership. Like, let me get that over there. You know, um, and I mean, straight up off of mixtapes. You know, and and so what I did was, again, having a relationship with retail here. There's a guy by the name of Ron who, uh, you know. For me, I had a genius idea. Ron owned a record store, Justin's Music. and But what he did was he created a, a whole other division where he went around to liquor stores, gas stations, and all of that. And he set displays up to sell CDs and DVDs. Um, Ron, at one point, was grossing over a million dollars a year um, off of that side of the business. So I worked for Ron to soak up knowledge. Because I, I, you know, again, I'm selling mixtapes. I want to know how to do this. So I actually applied to work for Ron. At the time, I'm, I'm popping as a DJ. I'm in, the, I'm, I'm in the clubs. I'm on radio. I'm, I was literally on radio at JLB, selling mixtape, everything, and I went and got a job um, because I wanted to know, you know, how to do this. So I was a guy working for Ron, going around to the liquor stores, gas stations, uh, selling CDs. So you think I'm going to do eventually? I need mine in there. <laughs> you know, so I went to Ron and I asked him, you know, I want to do the mixtape thing. And Ron was like, you know, nah, because he's obviously selling his stuff. Yeah. So I just told Ron, um, basically, I'm going to be a competitor. Just letting you know. And, you know, he was grossing over a million dollars. So he's like, go ahead. <laughs> And I and I can say that because as a guy who worked for him, we used to count the money. And I mean, literally off of CDs, DVDs, we'd be sitting in that back room count twenty five, thirty thousand dollars, you know, off of one day, one day of sales. Um, because Ron had the city. Ron had probably three hundred outlets, you know, at his peak. And uh, so I did the same thing. Um, the same place that he was getting his displays made, I went to the same company. I need displays too. And I went out, hit the streets, and I was able to get liquor stores, gas stations. and But we sold mixtapes only. Yeah. So I had my website selling the mixtapes. And then I had distribution here throughout the city uh, selling mixtapes as well too. So, so in due time, the other DJs started to find out who's moving mass units. So now I'm getting the phone calls from all you New York guys, you know, uh, Splash, he was selling DJ Envy and and uh, uh, Duke the God and all them calling me up, you know, I need some mixtapes in Detroit. Okay, well, boom, let's do it. So I had, again, okay, I had everybody's stuff. Uh, my man Nels from G-Unit was hooking me up with all the early 50 cents. You know, um, I had, I'm, I'm, I don't really know if anybody had 50 stuff like I had in the beginning. I had all that stuff, man. And, and like the rest, everything else in my basement, I still got them. <laughs> I still got a whole lot of mixtapes in my basement from other DJs. And, uh, you know, so, so um, yeah, I just, man, I went crazy with the mixtapes. I mean, literally, man, I, um, I started buying property. I became a landlord. Like I say, man, I'm I'm buying homes throughout Detroit now. The definition say, of an entrepreneur. 
man. And it was, it was, it was that. Then I, I, I slightly, I got into t-shirts. I started selling them for a minute too, you know, but, um, I think I'm gonna get back into that as well. So I was just, yeah. That, so I was just, man, I was just, just hustling, you know? So let me ask you a question because like I said, you know, being at the, 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 the definition of an entrepreneur, what led you to get that mindset to basically work for yourself? Um, you know what, man, I'm gonna say two things. One, an influence, uh, uh, which I wrote about in Pittsburgh, my great uncle, my uncle Fred, he owned a bar and you know, my, my last name is Golightly. Yeah. And, uh, so that's the name of the bar. It was called Golightly's. When I used to go to Pittsburgh as a kid, I still remember, the, uh, uh, the signage. Outside the bar, go lightly. So I remember when you see that nighttime lit up, and it was. It, I mean, it, it, it did something. Forty years later, I can talk about it. And just man, like I was just so. I'm mean, at the time as a kid, didn't really, you know, stick to you like that. But it's a, it's a it's a memory I I never, you know, forgot. Seeing your name in lights, walking in that bar, and Fred, my uncle Fred, used to give. Oh, first of all, he was young in the bar, but he would give us a dollar. Now, now I might want to talk about that. But a dollar. <laughs> but he always gave us a dollar. And uh, to me, it was something to brag about. And then second of all is my mother. Now, my mother worked for GM. That's why we came to Detroit. You know, came here and got a, got a job at GM. Um, but my mama was always about her money. Yeah. Um, it was a time period where she just always had two new cars. She would just always, she had two cars for years and years and years. Uh, I don't know why, <laughs> but- um, Balling, that's You why. know, <laughs> I mean, my mom traveled the world. Uh, even to this day, she only drives Cadillacs. You know, uh, you know, like she's always just been about her money. And I think that, uh, uh, that was just something else, you know. Now she worked; she hasn't worked every day, but she 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 was all she always just had her her own. She was always, you know, like I say, bossed up. And um, so, of course, you know, you wanted wanted to follow that. But I knew I wasn't gonna work. You know, uh, you know, I'm not working thirty years in one spot. Yeah. I think for me, being wrapped up so much in in, in hip hop thing, I mean, I I wanted to do, you know, what. Everybody in New York was doing. Everybody in LA was doing. I wanted to be, you know, honestly, is you know, it's time I wanted to be an actor. So, you know, what I'm saying like, I guess I just want to be famous or something, man. <laughs> you know, like I want to be known, too. So, so I wasn't getting that doing a job. So, you know, I was doing what I could do to just just be out here. So, so let me ask you a question. Since you're the owner of Motor City Popcorn, why popcorn? How 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 do you go from Break dancing, a failed MC, a successful <laughs> DJ, and then all of a sudden you're doing popcorn. So in the period of the 90s, um, I did work uh, um, at several restaurants. So I worked for a, an Italian restaurant, Salvatore Scalafini. And again, this is me soaking up, you know, experiences. Two men owned uh, this restaurant, which eventually they had at several locations. Um, I started off doing dishes and graduated from dishes uh, to, to prep cook, to 
Silas Station, all the way to Lion Court. I did every position in the back, you know, in the back of the house. And they even entrusted me to the point of where I was the person ordering inventory. Now, I used to tear them up. I was still like a mug, boy. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> you know, you order inventory. Uh, I need one box of shrimp for me, five for the, <laughs> you know. Um, so I had this passion about a restaurant. And in 2004, uh, I tried to open a restaurant. You know, that's when I got a little bit of money. And i um, glad it didn't work. You know, so uh, I, I didn't. it didn't happen because... The building I wanted to get, the owner, he asked for a business plan. And I was offended. Because <laughs> I'm like, I got the money. Yeah. Dog, I got the money. You know, and he's like, I need a business plan. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I got money. And he wouldn't give me the building. And uh, which is so much thankful now. Woo. <laughs> and uh, because I didn't know what I knew back then, you know. Wake up call. Yeah. So so um so I was one of the restaurants with DJing as I got deeper and deeper and deeper in DJing. The thing I say is too is that um you know I got to the point where you know I was on tour, I went on tour with, with D twelve, Obi Trice. Um, and then uh, I was able to even get booked myself, uh, you know, over in Germany, Belgium, you know, different cities in the US. So now I'm doing things like that. And but you're doing stadiums. Well, I never did a stadium. Okay, okay, okay. Now I did a spot in somewhere <laughs> in Germany, no, the Netherlands. Oh, that that bad boy was huge. That that was a big spot. <laughs> um, um, and it was dead too. But <laughs> but um, when I got into doing stuff like that, that's when to me I started to see how cutthroat it was, how cutthroat people were. And 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 the DJing wasn't as fun anymore. Gotcha. And I always always say the higher you get up the chain, these people are not your friend, you know, like like you think. And uh, cause you know, I guess everyone's trying to stay, you know, up there, you know. And I really fell out of love with DJing. So my last straw was I went to Las Vegas and I stayed for seven weeks. And uh, I was in Vegas, uh, you know, uh I I did. I mean, I DJed out there, but it didn't go like I planned. And the same thing. I'm in Vegas. I know all these DJs, and everyone to me was just playing me scandalous, you know. And I just said, you know what? Screw y'all, you know. And I came back home. At that point, I called myself retired, and I went back to another passion, which was one on a restaurant. Yeah. So, so. Um, uh, you know, the original plan, of course, was, you know, chicken and fish joint, all of that. And but I ended up going to Chicago for some stuff and uh, came across Garrett's Popcorn in Chicago. And I saw literally there was a line down the street. I don't know if you're familiar with Garrett's Popcorn. Not at all. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a Midwest staple. You know, Garrett's now has location literally across the world. They got them in Dubai and. All kind of places. Uh, so, but Garris is like a Chicago, you know, mainstay. It, it's a, it's a thing. That if you're in Chicago, you got to come home with some Garris, things like that. So, so, uh, but literally, it was lying down the street, and we stood in line. Uh, I didn't want it. Everybody else I was with wanted some. It took us thirty minutes to get inside. 
And by now, I'm counting dollars. You know, I paid $7 for a bag of popcorn. And I started counting the people, counting what if the average person is spending $7. So we back at the hotel room, and I can't get this off my mind. Pop so I left the hotel room, went back. And they were just about to close. So I was able kind of to walk right in, and I was trying to talk to them. And, you know, of course, they bought the clothes. <laughs> they like, bro, what you want? <laughs> I'm like, well, how much is this? What do you do this? This is this, this. You know, I'm asking all these questions. Man, I'm telling you, I couldn't get it off my mind. I just couldn't. So I'm saying to myself, we don't have this in Detroit. We don't have a place where people lined up to get no damn popcorn. And I literally, I came back to Detroit. I, I reached out to Garrett to see the franchise. He told me no. <laughs> And I said, well, I'll build my own, you know. So same thing like with the mixtapes. You wouldn't put me on the website, so I made my own site. So the original plan was, you know, a retail store with a line down the street. Uh, it's a lot harder, of course, than, you know, uh, trying to do it. Garrett's been around since the 1940s. So uh, I was able to open up, uh, you know, my first location. Um, but for me, I just started to get uh, people that reached out to us for wholesale. You know, people wanted us first. It was like you know a lot of parties and things of like that, wedding receptions, and then there were actual stores. Like, hey, do you guys wholesale this and that? And uh, it wasn't my plan at first. Yeah. You know, I wanted to copy what Garrett said, but I mean, you asking for wholesale, so shoot, we'll give it to you. So uh, I actually went back to school classes because I didn't know anything about how to do all this stuff and all your regulations and, and things of that and you know we got into it and so now we actually do both so we you know sitting here inside the retail store um so we have the retail aspect of it but we also do wholesale wholesale is really the biggest part of our business um wholesale to other stores we do fundraisers now which is a huge part as well for us too um and definitely like I say we we uh a lot of uh Still a lot of wedding receptions. We, uh, we, you know, we got a, a good portion of that. We do every summer real strong. So, um, so we sell in different ways, you know, online sales as well too, things to that. So, so, um, yeah, it just, it just, it, it started eating up, you know, all of my time and truthfully DJing, like I said, I had kind of fell out of love for it. Yeah. Um, I call myself retired, but of course I did come back. So I'm definitely still DJing. Um, I want to get back to the level of when I was traveling, things of that nature. I have something that may be set up with a cruise line, um, but I have turned into a, you know, nine to five guy or a 12 to 12 guy as an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know. But let me, let, let me stop you right there because um, I have conversations with people when it comes to entrepreneurship and the importance of transitioning. Because a lot of us, we get into what we get into, but end up doing something different, even if it's still within the same line. How important is it to be able to transition from party, well, making your money from partying or doing music to actually, um, I guess, getting into the restaurant business or, or you know, how, how can people feel the transition? Like, if people come, well, to, what's important for transitioning? 
I'm gonna tell you, man, it's it's hard. Um, here's the thing for me. Sometimes when I see uh, you know other DJs or or even new DJ, when I just just DJs, period. Like if it's a, a happening event, you know, an event that maybe I used to DJ, and now you call somebody else. Uh, I don't like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, sometimes I have to say, man, you got a business to run. Man, you, you know, you, you got X, Y, Z, you got this, 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 and that. Um, and sometimes the ego kicks in. You know, you know, you know who I am. You know, you know this, this. You're not calling me for this gig. You know, like that. Um, it's hard sometimes to let the DJ go and go on and run your business. So sometimes I'd be like, man, the hell with the popcorn. Um, man, I'm I'm still a good DJ. This, this, and that. And then sometimes some people be like, bro, we want what you got, or you better go over here and and do this. Um. So sometimes you have to find that balance, uh, and it's hard because it's, it's it is hard to let go of the DJ. I mean, it, and I'm not I haven't let it go again, um, you know. But yeah, I don't DJ in the clubs every week like I used to. Um, I'm not, you know. There's over time, especially with technology, there's way more DJs on the scene than you know, 10, 20 years ago. There's a thousand DJs. So I'm not in the top five anymore. Yeah. Maybe not even top 10. I like to say I'm in the top 20. <laughs> and that's just based on, that's not even based on me playing every week. That's just based on, uh, you know, my, my history. Yeah. You know, um, I think I've solidified, you know, myself. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the top guy anymore. And it hurts. Tell the truth. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. But... You gotta, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. That, that's the hard part is, is setting your ego aside because you're gonna have some ego. Not to be arrogant, this and that, but when you built up what you built up and you get recognized for it, it is hard to uh kind of step aside, you know. But I've stepped aside for something else, you know. Yeah. Speaking of stepping aside, you have a, a slash author title to DJ Babe now. Yeah, that's the new the new title. Yeah, so um, the, explain why you decided to not only write a book, also the title of your book and what it's about. So the book, we got it right here. <laughs> the book is called, I Finally Wrote This Book. And it does have my real name, uh, which is Ronnie DJ Bagel Lightly. <laughs> so um, I wrote a book, got my pretty face on the back. Um, <laughs> I wrote a book because if you follow me on Facebook, um, you know, I get raw sometimes. <laughs> and I would, I, I, you know, I would tell these stories. And trust me, my circle of friends, um, they know I, you know, I, I tell a lot of wild stories, especially from the days in the music industry. And one of my guys used to always say, man, you should write a book, man. You should write a book. He was, I mean, he said that over and over again. Man, you should write a book, man. He'd be like, man, you crazy, man. Oh, you know, you got to write a book. So um, one thing about myself is, you know, there's a guy from New York. Uh, he used to live in Detroit. Uh, I don't know if I should say Jewish guy, but 
I mean, I'm not going to get canceled. So. <laughs> FC Search, you know, from third base. Search was on the radio. We used to work at the same radio station, uh, WJLV, and we were both working. And for disclosure, I actually went to high school with MC Search back in the 80s. <laughs> okay, so he lived in here in Detroit for a while. We also worked uh, with uh, Nouveau uh, Liqueur at the yeah. time, uh, about 2008 or so. Um, and that's actually where we fell out. But anyway, um, <laughs> but Search told me one time in a, in a general conversation, you should reinvent yourself every 10 years. And hell, Search told me that probably year 2000 or something, you know. Yeah. Uh, again, just never forgot it. And the thing is, I started telling other people that, you know, what are you known for? You know, I would tell people, when you look at your tombstone, uh, I said, I want mine to just be like words, 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 words. Um, I want to be known. Again, I guess that's, again, going back, I just want to kind of be known. So it was like, what are you known for? Okay, I'm well, known for, you know saying, no matter what, everyone's going to know, you know, me as a DJ. Um, they know me as a business, you know, the popcorn. They know me for mixtapes, you know, this and that. And I just wanted to keep adding on, keep adding on. But I even still, you know, I'm looking to do some other stuff today. I'm actually looking to take classes, learn Spanish for no reason at all. Um, just because. You know? <laughs> um, so, so um, you know, like I say, I, I had all these stories and, and I used to tell people, man, I, I did this. And some people actually would say, think I was exaggerating the line. But when I tell these stories, they are a thousand percent true. So I would just come home from working in a store and I would just get on the internet and I was just started writing down my stories and writing them down. And after about three months, I had a whole lot of stories and I just start putting them in order, you know, what happened. So I say this book is not an autobiography. I mean, it's not that it is a collection of stories and that's what I call it. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, it doesn't stick to a hundred percent of, of, of how my life went. It's just over a time frame. Uh, these are some stories I think you would enjoy, you know, me, me talking about. So it just became an actual book. And uh, hell, man, it's just something I wanted to do. You know, I mean, you know, I wanted to get into screenwriting. You know, I had an idea in my head for a movie, you know, years back, and I still want to actually complete it one day. Um, and I just, like I say, as a writer, I just wanted, I mean, even you know, yeah, writing writing for me was always something. I had honors English, you know, for years and years. I'm a little smart, you know. <laughs> you know, so um, just something new to try, just a challenge, you know. Um, I knew I didn't know anything about being an author, you know, promoting a book. I know zero about it. Um, but I, you know, used some of the tactics that I use, you know, during the music game. And uh, and we just, you know, we put the book out and... and uh, I still haven't did an audio version yet, which people are saying you gotta do that too. Um, I haven't had time, <laughs> you know. But um, but the book actually, um, I'm gonna tell you like this. I was a little bit concerned because some people on the, the popcorn side, you know, my distributors or other stores or just customers come in the store, you know, they don't know my original career. Yeah. And when you read the book, there's a recurring theme, which is Hennessy. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Hennessy is named in the book like 50 times. And some of the things that I did after drinking Hennessy are in the book. <laughs> so I, so one person did tell me, one of my friends was like, I don't think you should have did that. And I said, you know what? I don't care. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I didn't do anything illegal, you know, uh, or anything like that. But uh, I had fun. You know, during those years of, 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 you know, traveling and doing X, Y, Z, you know, I mean, I have fun. Uh, I've been to a million parties, you know, saying and, and travel, you know, and X, you know, all that stuff. So uh, so I was kind of concerned. So I, you know, I, I reached out to a few uh, food critics here in Detroit, all the magazines, the blogs. Um, and some of the some of them, everyone didn't get the book, but some of the people I did kind of scale back. because I was like, wait a minute. Well, I scaled back as well, too, because I wanted to promote the way I want to promote. Um, I want to collab the two. I want to do something that's a mixture of, uh, you know, the music uh, as well as the business. So one of the things that I did, I actually put three things together. I went back to my mixtape days. I came up with flash drives. So I, so this is a this is a little tricky one, how you get it to work. You got you to twist it. But um, so I came up with a flash drive, DJ Bay. Uh, on the flip side, Motor City Popcorn, uh, whatever it is. <laughs> so I'm selling flash drives um, with my mixtapes on here. It brands my DJing and my popcorn, but there is a digital copy of the book. So when you when you get the flash drive, you get the book as well. So so uh, and you get a ton of pictures of uh, popcorn. So you'll actually uh, you'll, you'll you'll see the popcorn stuff. You'll read my book and you'll hear my mixes. So I decided to let me put these out. I gave away a good amount, you know, free promotional. I actually shipped them out to people all over the country. Uh, so that way, um, you like I said, you get everything. You get to learn about the popcorn business. You get to read my book, and you get to um, you know and and hear my music, my mixes, which is definitely important. So I didn't show you any of my product. So one of my things here, this is the eight mile mix. Uh, the eight mile mix is white cheddar and caramel. This is one of our good sellers here. You know, we got custom bags now and everything. You know, I'm gonna spend some money. You know, I see I make a fish track at your barcode, all that stuff, your nutrition facts. You gotta get all that there, you know. But uh, so this is one of our products here. Uh, then you know, in the store we sell them like this as well too. This is our fruity mix. Fruity Mix does well for us too. It's uh, this has got your strawberry, lemon, blueberry, green apple, all that, blah blah blah, you know. But uh, so just showing some of our product too. But like these are the the, the ones we have in a lot of stores. Um, like I said, we're we're selling um, the D Casino in Las Vegas, Circa Casino in Vegas. We got some stores in upstate New York, uh, West something. I don't forget what it's called. I don't know. We got stores in Atlanta. We got stores in Windsor, Canada. Um, we kind of got some stores, you know, outside, you know, Michigan all over. Um, like I say, in Michigan, you know, we, we, we got a casino here. We got hotels here. We got Metro Airport. Um, and uh, so we worked with the NFL. We did a, we did a big order with the NFL uh, about two years ago. We sent product to every single sports team. We also sent product to uh, uh, ESPN, Fox Sports, uh, a few colleges. Uh, you know, we, I mean, it was a massive order. 
Um, we did Hennessy. You call it a Hennessy Moe? Is that what you call it? Something like that? Hennessy Moe? You know, I thought it was Moe, but maybe that's the black version. I, 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 I know the real people. You might know the real ones up there. <laughs> I, I just wanted to, to make it sound like a little bougie. But <laughs> so, but yeah, Hennessy. So Hennessy reached out to us. Uh, no, no. Well, so yeah, Hennessy reached out to us and asked, "Could we make infused popcorn?" Um, I had never made it. I told him, "Yeah, we can make it." Um, I lied, you know. Um, and they placed an order that was like eighteen thousand dollars. I'm like, well, I gotta learn how to make it. <laughs> so honestly, bro, I spent close to four hundred dollars of my own money uh, buying up liquor, testing it out. You know, crashing and burning, crashing and burning, till I uh, came up. Huh? Testing out the Hennessy or the formula for the popcorn. Well, every now and then you gotta, you know, you gotta make sure that it tastes good. So you need a little bit for yourself. You know, well, I spent over four hundred thousand in, in in liquor before I came up with the right the right uh, mixture. So we ended up making product for Hennessy. We worked with them a few times. Um, we have it displayed in our store, like one of our old one of the bags we did, and people ask us all the time. But uh, it's it, it is time consuming. When we did that order, it took us three days to make it. We had to close the store to the public, everything. Um, it's just time. It's time for some. So, so uh, we work with uh, Comcast. We work with them several times, and uh, we're doing an order now with Domino's Pizza. Uh, it's kind of a pretty big order. It's going to take us probably ten days to do it. Uh, thousands of bags is going for, uh, for Domino's Pizza. Um, we work with a lot of you know uh, big brands you know over the time too. So the thing is, uh, one guy asked me. He said, "Man, you can really sell that much popcorn?" <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously, you think, you know, it is something that you, you know, you think of a, a low-end product, but um, it's a product that appeals to a wide demographic. You know, kids love it, adults love it. Uh, doesn't matter, self-conscious. Uh, I mean, you sell it uh, over a wide demographic. So yes, I mean, it's uh, right now. It's a, it's a trend at wedding receptions. Uh, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, gift bags, swag bags, people people buy it for that. Schools love it. So we are a vendor with Detroit Public School. Uh, so we do get phone calls from them for big orders. Um, just so, I mean, it's, 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 it's just so many places to sell it, so many ways to sell it. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I mean, you can make some money. <laughs> I'm not rich. I'm far from rich, boy. <laughs> but, 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 you know. In business, that's the important thing. Yeah, we're getting there. And, and the thing about it, you know, uh, having this business, um, the fact that I'm able to employ people, uh, you know, that's one bonus to know that someone is paying their bills uh, because of, you know, what you've created. Uh, you know, that's that's something special, you know, for me. And then uh, with our retail storefront in the neighborhood, you know, I did bounce around. I'm not going to lie. I went out to the suburbs and all that stuff. But I came back to the city, really in the city. And we on Seven Mile Road, you know what I'm saying? Everybody know Eight Mile from the movie, but Seven Mile is where it get down. <laughs> you know, so we in, we are in the city. And uh, but to have people come by here, um, you know, people the way they embrace the store here, you know what I'm saying? Like that's because people will say, man, we don't have anything like that. You know, um, you don't have a popcorn store in the hood. You know, we sell hand-packed ice cream. 
milkshakes, cookies, you know, all that. Um, yeah, you don't get stuff like that in the hood. You know, you might go out to a trendy suburban area or you might go you know, downtown or something, but to be in the hood and, and have it. So, so uh, and then like I say for us, um, you know, I, you know, on, on the weekend, sometimes I bring my turntables out in the lobby. Uh, I have guest DJs come by, you know, I set them up and I might tell the guy, hey, man, can you come to two hours? This guy to two hours. So we in here jamming as well. You know, I tried the rappers, man. I had to get rid of them, but <laughs> they don't work. I mean, I mean you, you were recently in New York and you didn't even, like, you know, try to visit the other, but that's okay. I know, man. It was it was last minute. No, I know, I know, I know. Because I know you went to the Black Entrepreneur's Day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, so so with um, I'm involved with a lot of different programs. Uh, like I'm still taking classes. I just finished a, a ten week course called B three Elevation, uh, which is building black brands. Um, and I'm part of what a program called Buy Detroit, Buy B U I, whereas they look to uh to put Detroit brands in front of you know buyers, yeah. and stuff. So with the Buy Detroit program. They picked uh, eight of us to go to New York. And I was one of the eight. And we went to uh, Damon John's uh, Black Entrepreneur Day uh, at the, the, uh, the Apollo. Apollo. So I was excited about that. You know, I mean, for world us. World famous Apollo. The world famous, right. Because in, in New York, y'all probably like, oh, I, I, I drive past it every day. Yeah, like 125th, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, it's like when people come to Detroit and they go to the Motown Museum. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm like, oh, dog, that's down the street. <laughs> you know. But um, which I only been once in my life. But uh, <laughs> you know, but but uh, so so that was like a you know a big thing. Um, and then you know it was, it was dope. Um, you know they had Tracy Ellis Ross. She talked about her her brand, Serena Williams, uh, who I didn't know was that damn tall. Man, she like six nine or something, boy. You know, big long chocolate legs. <laughs> you man, Spike Lee, man. I don't know what was up with him. You asked Spike a question about this, and Spike talked talk, talk about when he was two years old. And we like, Spike, what the hell are you talking about, man? Look at Quincy Jones when it comes to that, because Quincy Jones can go off on a tangent as well. So. <laughs> man, legends. legends. <laughs> I don't know what Spike interview was about, man, because he he did not answer a question. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. But but um, the highlight for me was was Killer Mike. Um. Killer Mike, man. I mean, I mean, he he spoke about entrepreneurship, but he talked about black entrepreneurship. And you know, saying for me, man, I'm not gonna lie, man. He was he was putting some fire in me. And all, you know, I'm like, man, I I, I gotta meet homie. You know, what I'm saying I gotta sit down and collab, or, you know, some way. But Mike is talking the stuff that I want to hear. Yeah, I definitely actually had an opportunity. I did actually interview him. Never got a chance to post an interview, but. You know he's definitely intelligent. Um, yeah, yeah. So for me, it, it was it was. Um, I mean, man, it was just something too to uh, to be in Harlem. So I guess some people say that I've been all through Harlem because when I flew in LaGuardia, I took the M twenty M sixty. I don't take buses, so. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I took a bus. <laughs> I think it was M sixty. Probably, yeah. And and it goes from uh, from the airport, yes, and it takes you into Harlem. But my, I'm using MapQuest. I mean, well, well, whatever Google or something, whatever. It told me to get off on Lenox and 125th. 125th, yeah. And I get off, but then it tells me to get on this on, on a train. 
And uh, and I go, you know, up to the counter and I'm asking the lady, you know, this the right one? And she said, no, that's not the right one to get on. She told me to get on a different train. So I'm like, well, my phone is saying this. She telling me this. Before I get on, I'm going to ask somebody else. So I asked another person, a guy. He said, no, man, you don't want either one of them. You want to get on this one. Yes. Yeah, well, I got three different trains. I said, you know what? I said, I'm going to walk. <laughs> now, so I walked from Lenox and 125th to Amsterdam and 156th. You walked? I walked. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be like that, bro. Hey, hey. That's a so, journey. So my dude said, bro, you've seen all of Harlow. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, yeah, man, I walked with a damn suitcase. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, yeah, man, but even though I walked, Sweating like a like a bastard. Um, I, can I got to walk through for me to walk through a, a Harlem the Harlem neighborhoods. Uh, I mean, like I said, I guess obviously for you know growing up in New York, you know, obviously grew up there. But for like me, you know, what I'm saying to see the brownstones and and, and all yeah. that stuff, man, I'm soaking that. I'm like, man, this is dope. This is like, yo, this this how they do it here. History. They don't pick up the trash. That's one thing, but. <laughs> Well, you didn't hold them, so, uh, <laughs> like that was trash everywhere, but but um man, it was just it was just dope for me. It was dope to walk through the neighborhoods like that. And then when my man was telling me, he said, "Yo, you know this area where uh you know Rich Porter used to get out and this this." I'm like, "Show me where, man. I need to walk past there too." You know, I, I just just walk past and be like, "Yo, this way used to be at." Yeah. You know, because cause what I did, like, the first night I was there, and I had an Airbnb in Harlem, and uh, I got up and just left. I just, I walked down Amsterdam, just walked and walked and walked. I know, man. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, and it's like, on the real, I left like 10 o'clock at night. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I just started walking through Harlem, man. I'm just soaking it up. At night, I left at ten o'clock at night, <laughs> and I was just walking through Harlem and stuff, you know. And um, you know, it was crazy, like you know, to see that many people outside. First off, like yeah. you know, we, you know, New York is of course a lot of people live there. I was just like, damn man, like what, what y'all doing outside this time of night? Like <laughs> you know, Harlem never sleeps. Man, man, I mean. Um, Never. Again, it, it gave me like energy, you know. I go into, uh, I guess, what y'all call the bodegas or whatever, um, and they they all cook food up in there and stuff, you know. And I'm, I'm tripping off that, you know, and uh, you know, so yeah. <laughs> and, and and you're lucky because like it's definitely a lot calmer than it used to be, like 20, 30 years ago, you know, because. Yeah, I lived in Harlem for eight years. And, yeah. And I'm from the Bronx. And, and Harlem is definitely different in every aspect. And visiting Harlem definitely is, is, is a thing that I think everyone should do, especially black people. 
Brooklyn too, but Harlem is definitely um, culture-wise. I mean, just just yeah, it's it's different. So so if you wasn't being biased, which borough is the place to be? It depends on for what because um, New York is so rich. I mean. Like I said, for, for 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 a black American, you definitely have to experience Harlem, but you also must experience Brooklyn as well, and the Bronx. So it's just like so many different aspects and, and for different reasons. So for me, when I'm in New York, I'm going back to a kid. Um, hip hop is on my mind. Anything that's hip hop related, I want to know where they did it at. I want to know where they live at or used to live. You know. Like things of that. I, I grew up in the Bronx, right near Bronx River, where it basically all started. So I would definitely suggest, like, I mean, but growing up at that time was such a different experience. Like, even going to the Bronx now, it, it's not going to be the same, but at least you can be in the area. But to actually live it is definitely something that, um, and I tell people this all the time. It, 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 if you've ever watched the, the Netflix, um, the, the the wait, what was the what was the um, uh, the get back? Wait, whatever. Oh, the get down. The get down. Yes. That might be the closest that you can be without actually being there, because yes. that, that series captured the essence of how the Bronx was back then, and. Like I said, growing up in the Bronx is a, is, is, is a different experience because you could grow up in New York at the same time but not experience the same thing because every borough has a different feel to it. So mm-hmm. when, when it comes to hip-hop, like the Bronx at that time, it is, I'm, I'm glad I grew up in the Bronx. I'm glad I experienced, like I said, growing up near Bronx River, actually being around when Africa Bambada would come over to where we lived because we were much younger. Mm-hmm. And back then, like I said, the, the whole experience was such, like we didn't know what we were experiencing until later. I went to school with Slick Rick. Right. Even being in proximity to such greatness without realizing the greatness or realizing it years later. It's, it's like... Um, People are always like people who know me have always asked like, when when it comes to hip hop, growing up in the Bronx, and going to school with a Slick Rick and MC Search, and you know, hanging out with Dougie Fresh, and it's like, I was blessed to like actually be around these people, and people having to write stories about them, but me actually living it with them, is such a such an experience. Like, people are waiting for my book. People are like, you need to write a book. And it's like, I've got several books in me because of, like, who, like I said, even going to music and art. And, and like I said, um, my connections with Dougie Fresh was his, his girlfriend at the time and my girlfriend at the time were sisters. So oh, I yeah. hung out with Doug E. Fresh. <laughs> when I went to school with Slick Rick. Was this... Uh... Before or after B Street? After B Street. Okay. So he already had his already had his appearance. Yeah, I I I, I didn't get to, to experience that Dougie Fresh because he was already legendary at that time. Oh, okay. But I came up, like during the show, 
Because like I said, I went to school with Slick Rick. I'm like seeing Slick Rick and I'm banging on the tables in high school. And then actually meeting Teddy Riley at Rooftop Studios. Yes. So it's like all of these things and me not realizing it at the time, but experience it. But then like when, I, when I'm hearing the stories and seeing the, 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 the different times and then Aaron Hall used to come up to music and art. And he didn't go to music and art, but he was mm -hmm. up there. And then him being involved with Teddy Riley and Guy. So it's like, like when people hear some of the things that I've been in, around, they're yeah. looking at me like, wow, how could you be around all of that greatness? And I'm like, well, at the time, you're not realizing that you're, you know, you're around and you know, yeah. you're around. I, you know, sometimes I say, I say like some of my experiences, I, I say I'm like the black Forrest Gump. Because, like, Forrest, in a movie, he was, like, always there, you know, meeting different presidents and, you know. Uh, and I never saw Forrest Gump either. I got to watch it. I keep telling people I got to watch it. You've never seen it? I've never seen it. Oh, God. <laughs> when people make the references to Forrest Gump, I'm like, uh, uh, I never saw the movie. Oh, <laughs> well, first of all, it's classic. And I know about him being a, in immersed in so many different time periods and this is sad yes. so it's like, Forrest, like historical events he's always there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know um so that's what i say because you know i find myself around like close or near situations that sometimes we're talked about that's what i'm saying when i'm telling my stories i'm like oh yeah i was there oh yeah oh i remember yeah yeah i was there you know um you know the when we were, uh, I think it was Mitchell Power Summit, when the Zeno hosted a source party, and Eminem was supposed to come. Uh, Emma D12 flew in, and they said they was tired because I was I was waiting on them, yeah. and I, um, you know, and I'm telling Ben Zeno and all of them like, oh yeah, they they they'll be here in a minute. It's this. Then I get work. Now nah, we ain't coming, and that led to Ben Zeno feeling dissed, and, and the whole beef. Yeah. So when people kept talking about the beef, I'm like, hey, man, I was there. I was talking to Ben Zeno. I was talking to uh, D12. <laughs> I was talking to everybody. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, I was right there. Um, just all kinds of situations, things that happened. I was there, uh, or I was near, or had a connection. You know, so so sometimes I look back like, yeah, but but I mean, like I say, you know, I'm gonna tell you what's funny, and I don't mean to interrupt, but um, I'm actually talking to Kenny Parker, um, Karis One's brother, yeah. the, the book out, and I was actually watching him on Lord Jamar's podcast talking about the BDP situation with PM Dawn. And I was actually there. <laughs> I, I, I keep telling people, like, if I wasn't there, I would not have believed it. And I know that when I do talk to Kenny, that's going to be one of the topics we talk about. And, and it's so funny when I hear certain situations, like you said, it's like, I was actually there. I was there when Ice Cube was at the new music seminar? No, he was be, when they were being chased, yeah, mob and all of this. And it's like, there's so many that's why people are like, Your story is going to be, your book is going to be. And it's like, like, there were so many situations where I was actually there. I was there when when they were filming Juice with Omar Epps because we went, you know, we went to high school together. The yeah. scene, so it's like, even when. 
I get to I, I get to talk about some of those hip hop moments because I was actually there. I yeah, can't, man. I I say just I got, such a video. Like it's so many different things where it's like, wow. And yeah, that's what I I just I just would just jot down a story at a time on my laptop. And I'll, like I said, after four months, I, I had a whole lot. You know, so so I didn't sit down and just be like, I'm about to write a book, yada yada. No, I'm just let me put these thoughts down, you know, um, and it and it just happened. But yeah, I mean, if you I just think, man, like like some of us, I and I know, you know, I got into the music game late nineties, you know, two thousands for me was kind of like my apex. Uh even though I want to create something new, because that's 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but that's when, yeah, that's when I was, you know, getting booked different cities and yada yada. And and uh I just think, man, like some of us from that era, man, we just have we've got some stories, man. We I I, I tell all like these guys, these 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 younger DJs, I say, man, you missed out. Like you you missed out on you know saying an experience. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to like you know start up the podcast again because with the contacts that I have and the people that I actually know and the stories that I'll be able to tell with the people, it's going to be so crazy because people have been like getting at me. Oh, you need to, you need to. I'm like, I don't want to. But then when I said, you know what, I I, I need to, and like I said talking to you and like I said I'm gonna talk to Kenny and I know when I talk to Puff because we're going to talk I, I I don't know how it's going to get I don't know how it's going to happen but we're going to talk because me and him were interns at the same time and there were many stories and situations that we can talk about like I said the Teddy Riley situations the Dougie Fresh the MC Search the, the Slick Ricks the Tracy Lee's it's like there's so many things like even my source stories and things of that nature, I'm like, I can talk and have a show every day for the next 10 years and still have more stories to tell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and people want to hear that stuff, man. And people, that's why people are like, yeah, you got to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you, man, people don't care about hear, what I do. They want to hear these crazy stories. When I was sitting around and tell my stories, to guys in Detroit who didn't have the chance to travel like I did, didn't have a chance to meet, you know, artists and things like that. When I'm telling these stories, I'm like, bro, man, I was, I was uh, hanging out with Lil John one night, and they'd be like, you was with Lil John? I'm like, yeah, let me tell you what we did. They'd be like, man, y'all did all that? I'd be like, yeah, don't tell nobody. Let <laughs> me tell you what's so funny. Chi Ali literally reached out to me today. Now I've known Chi like literally since he was like a, a kid. Mm -hmm. so, um, and, and I have a, a great relationship with Chi so I was like yo I gotta get you he's like yo let's do it so it's like I'm getting excited just knowing with the people that I haven't even talked to yet based on the people I've already talked to and it's like it's going to be such a ride that I'm going to allow people into my world now based on what other people are doing you know my son you know like I said if I could, like I said I don't mean a name drop, but at the same time, people are like, yeah, but you're not name dropping because you actually know these people and you've yeah, yeah. And 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 the thing is, <laughs> I think a lot of people they want to tell these stories, not the old regular. Tell me about your new record and you know all that crap. Hey man, how many girls you banged when you was 15 years old? <laughs> you know, 
Tell us about that. You know, man, I was 15. I did this, this, this. You know, like, no, man, we want to hear some stories, man. I was, so I, I tell you, you know, um, for a while I used to, I used to uh, go back and forth on, uh, what's the direct message, whatever, on uh, Instagram with, you know, John Lil from Houdini. And uh, I kept telling John, I said, bro, you know, of course, with XC passing, you know, he's not doing the shows and stuff. I said, bro, man, you got to do a show and just talk about the early days of hip-hop, your experiences, the good and the bad, yada, yada. And, um, you know, I said, my man, people will listen. I will listen. Yeah. I will listen. For the short time that I was on Clubhouse, because I did delete the app, <laughs> um, you know, DJ Scratch and uh, I, I, I think it was, was a grand mix of DST. Yeah. Um, Man, they was telling these hip hop stories, man. And man, I was on Clubhouse one time to six a.m. Knowing I had to get up in the morning, but they just kept telling stories, man. Kept telling stories, and I wanted to soak all that stuff up. And, and I'm, I'm, I definitely know that I've been blessed and I've been happy to be around a lot of those stories and to be able to actually be friends. And the thing is, I always say to people, it's like, if I have conversations with these people, it's going to be much different than any any conversation, interview that any journalist or anybody's ever going to have, because I know these guys. Right. Me and, me and D Nice go back to the MC Light video. MC Light. It's like all these people that I actually know and can call up today and have conversations with we're going to have the type of conversations that people are going to envy because they're going to be actual stories and reminiscing things that like, like um, I'll use D nice as an example. I can have conversations with D nice that no journalist can ever have because we're actual friends. We actually have had deep conversations. Now the conversation we're going to have that's going to be public are not going to be, the same conversation we've had, <laughs> right? <laughs> because you know, you know, we might let things slip, this, that, and the other, and I would never, ever do that or reveal certain things. But knowing that we have a connection that, um, I can get that deep, or they can get that deep, is definitely advantageous for me as a journalist, as a writer, because these people are my actual friends, right? So it's oh, like. Yeah. And, and that's another reason why I, I, I want to, and like I said, um, and I know people don't know that you and I had a, a, a discussion several months ago, but because like, you know, things that happened, my brother passing, just a lot of things that happened between these months where I wasn't able to, but I'm back in that mindset where I'm ready. And I know that it's going to be, and like I said, I appreciate you allowing me to speak to you, but I know that six months from now, like it's going to be so many different stories where, I might have my own television series because it's going to be well, so... Well, I'm going to tell you this, man. So. <laughs> you know, uh, so, so like, you know, and, you know, social media, we all roast you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that all the time, so I'm kind of used to it anyway, so... You know, uh, you know definitely uh, uh, social media, uh, what Vic said, is, 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 is going to brighten your day up. <laughs> you know, so that's what I'm saying is, though, I, I definitely believe that, you know, you launched your platform. There's so many people, uh, 
you know, man, they 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 going to check you out. I mean, you have you know industry cosign uh, when you write story. Like a lot of times, I mean, I, I'll tell you, man, give you flowers. You would interview certain people who were like executives or people who had started a business. You know, what I'm saying I might I would read it. I, I may not comment. You know, what I'm saying things of that, but I would read it. You know, what I'm saying because. I'm still a student and I still need to know, you know, who's doing what I'm still trying to hustle. I'm still trying to connect. I'm still trying to, you know, create something, you know, do something else. So, you know, your platform for me was a resource. Well, that's know. the reason why I started the definition of an entrepreneur, because I want people to see the, like some of the things that people have been through in order to be successful in what they do or the pitfalls that they had to go through and the different things. So that way, if they're pursuing their dream and if it doesn't work out the way they anticipate that it can still happen. And that's the reason yeah. why I'm reaching out to certain people because people need to see that there are people that they can emulate even in failure to be a success. And I know for a fact that a lot of people that I know that are successful have had so many bumps in the road, but it didn't stop them. So I want that to be the blueprint for anybody that's going to, you know, come across the videos or the articles on my site or even the stuff that I do for Black Enterprise. So that way they can see that it didn't work in the way that I thought it would, but it still can work out. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think like I say, our our, you know, again, um, I know the industry's obviously been popping for years and years, but for me that that ninety-ish, two thousand ish, to me it's like we just like a, a dope breed. You know, um uh it's it's some there's some dope ass people, man, that came out of that era. Um, you know, and and because that's when the, you know, black folks started making money. You know, we started creating our own brands and people became millionaires and things and such. I'm going to tell you um, what's funny because the the um, Billboard just released their power players. Yeah, yeah. I know like half the people. Mark Pitts, we went to school together. Renee, yeah. Michelle, we did parties together. Jeff Robinson, we grew up together. I could go down that list. Le um, Lisa Brunson. Like, I can name have the people and have a direct connection and yeah are going to be like wow and it's like i love seeing that they're, they're they're still doing their thing and we all started at the same time and people are still elevating and still have many years to go yeah so, yeah we ain't finished i mean shoot yeah. for me you know pretty mind gave me a good analogy um you know it's like a football game man you know it's halftime yeah. You know what I'm saying? First two quarters, you know, first quarter, you was in your 20s, so you was losing the game. You was fumbling the ball. You was doing all kinds of dumb stuff. And, you know, second quarter, you might have, you know, had some success. You might have scored some points. We had halftime. So we we in the locker room. We're writing on the board. We're writing down what worked, what didn't work the first two. And then we're going to write down what's going to make us win this game for the, the two coming up. So we're going back out in the field. So that's why I feel like, you know, I turned 50 this year. And, you know what I'm saying, I, sometimes, I, sometimes I do think, like, damn, 50. Jesus. You know, like, <laughs> I'll be 55 in four months. So Man. I, I get it. But but uh, but I said at the same time, I know I hustle just as hard as a 20-year-old. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, like I'm, 
ain't got no problem doing 12 hours, 16 hours. I ain't got no problem if you say, like, like you know, for me, like this this event that I may have with a cruise ship, you know, my man's throwing a party. He's like, I need you here. I'm like, star, all you got to do is tell me. Yeah. I'm about to find a way to hop on this, this plane, get on this cruise ship, and I'm about to go rock this party. Um, you know, that's just the hustler in me. I'm going. You just you just have to say what day to be there. That's all you got to say. I'm there. I'll tell you, I'm trying to be Quincy Jones. I'm, I'm trying to be 84, still making money and still mattering. So it's like, yeah, you know, I, I still got 30 more, 30 more years ago in this game. <laughs> I mean, we got time, man. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. think it's over. I mean, yes, it's a lot of new people. Technology has made some people, uh, some many people doing podcasts. You know, yeah. uh, everyone's you know doing that left and right, and like I say, DJing or producers now making beats in their living room. You know, saying things to like that. Um, but again, I think that we come from a dope era, and uh, and not not any of the newer people. You know, saying definitely give some props to some people that's definitely creative. Um, yeah. But you know, I just wonder if. They got to hustle, like you know what I'm saying. Like we hustle. When I was on the street team and we had to put up poster boards, we literally would go out purposely two, three in the morning and, uh, and put poster boards up, you know, for the police come. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I I tell a lot of the younger people that, that I do talk to that um I, I appreciate their hustle, but they I mean the way we hustled and like we were pre whatever they're doing now. So that way it's easier for them to do what they do. Yeah. You can, literally, you can literally make a record in your house, have it on the radio, literally within hours. We came up, we had to go into the studio, we had to do certain things. And even if we completed a song tonight, you might not be on the radio for at least three, four months because of whatever process and, and things that they have to take in order to get it done. And yes. um I, I appreciate all the all the work that's that I just tell people like you know things are so easy nowadays where it's like you don't have to leave your house in order to get things done. I'm not taking away from them. I'm definitely not because mm -hmm. technology is such that where you and I can have a conversation now and it could be on the internet right now. Yeah. Before working at magazines, you had to plan out, do the interview, transcribe, do this that, and then three months later it's on, it's in print, finally. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know, it is what it is. Um, like I said, um, I appreciate all that we've done because, like, even things that are easier for us now, we had to go through. Like, when I first started doing stuff online, I had to, like, write the codes in order to get one wrong thing, the paragraph could be wrong or the formatting is wrong, then I have to go back and do it over because it took me an hour to do that. Nowadays, cut, pay, bang, okay, now I write something, it's online within four minutes. Back then, it had you had to work on it for an hour, look it over, then make sure that everything was in place so that way you can, and then when you publish it, then you had to look at it over again. Nowadays, it's like, blah, 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 bang, okay, it's out there. You know? So... And 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 shoot, nowadays some stuff, the the slang or the ebonics or whatever is, if a word is wrong or missing, you know, I went to school, so one thing I didn't know, yeah, um, when I graduated high school, uh, I went to broadcasting school. There was a famous school here called Specs Howard School of Broadcast, and uh, so when you went there, 
you either went for radio or TV. And um, so when I, even though they trained you first three quarters of both, fourth quarter, you had to pick which one. I wanted to be on radio. So um, <clears throat> and I just remember, and one of the st stipulations to graduate is that you had to enunciate W. Um, and it's amazing how many people in the class could not get W, you know. Oh, yeah, I think it was two U's. I, I, I mean, again, 30 years later, it's what I remember. They're telling us two U's, <laughs> double U. Um, so when I got on, and, and then at the time, too, getting on radio, we had a broadcast license that we were certified, you know. Yeah. And, and, and then I remember there was a guy here who was on the radio in Detroit that I'm cool with, but he came in with the most ghetto slang, man, what's up, nah, 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 nah. you know, I'd be like, man, I went to school for this stuff, <laughs> you know, and dude was actually pretty popular on the radio, but he came in was just straight up, you couldn't understand half the words he said, and um, I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of that stuff was out the window now. Yeah, especially bloggers, but you know it is what it is. But we're still here. We're still doing what we do, and there's more in front of us. And like I said, I'm I'm definitely here for it. And um, going into the new year, I know that my energy has been refocused. Um, I I feel like um, I did 30 years ago when like I just had this attitude like nothing can stop me, and Nothing can stop me. Nothing has stopped me, and you know, just pushing forward. So, yeah, I, I say all that to say I, I appreciate. Like I said, get, getting the opportunity to speak to you, um, and good good luck with everything that you're doing. As actually, um, give us the title of your book again. Oh yeah. So the book is called "I Finally Wrote This Book," because I finally did write the book. The book is on uh, Amazon. Um, you know what? I just noticed it's not on my website. <laughs> you, you need to change that so that way when this is posted, they will see it. They'll be able it to will be on my website tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it is on Amazon. Uh, I finally wrote this book. Um, and uh, and then, like I say, Motor City Popcorn, uh, dot com, uh, Facebook, Instagram as well, Motor City Popcorn, and um. Um, let me see what else. So, so I don't, I haven't really started my SoundCloud and MixCloud and stuff again. But for people in the Detroit area, let them know where you're located. So if they want some popcorn, they can come see you. So we are at seven one zero four West Seven Mile Road. We are two blocks west of Livernois, the Avenue of Fashion. The Avenue of Fashion, for those outside of Detroit, is a two mile uh, stretch. Of black business, it is like our um, Black Wall Street. Uh, you have several black-owned businesses that uh, annually gross over a million dollars a year, um, but it's like our black business mecca. We're two blocks off of there, uh, but this this area as well, like all my neighbors, everyone's black around here. So seven one zero four West Seven Mile Road, uh, two blocks west of Livernois Avenue Fashion. Um, I said mostlypopcorn.com is our website, but um, also you can find our products. Uh, again, if you're in the Detroit area, we are in Jermac, Motor City Casino. We are in Detroit Shop, Somerset Mall. We're in Westland Mall. Um, 
we're fresh time market. We had two Meyer locations, which is well known grocery stores. Um, so we're getting out there. I mean, uh, we got other places, but I don't remember. <laughs> I got to look at the paper to really know. I mean, you know, say, hey, I got an order, man. I just feel it, ship it, feel it, ship it, you know. <laughs> Is there anything coming up um, in the very near future that um, you want the people to know about? Um, so for us, um, um, we are getting our website. Uh, we're getting a portion of it redeveloped so that we can uh, – do paperless fundraising. So fundraising for 2023 is like one of the biggest things that we're going to focus on. Um, there's there's a there's a popcorn brand uh, that's kind of known nationally. Uh, really, are the top dogs for fundraising. Um, fundraising. Well, popcorn used for fundraising is definitely growing year by year. It's becoming you know a well-known uh, item to use. So there's a company who has maximized it. And they're doing pretty good. Can't knock them. So uh, with fundraising, we're switching from the old ways of where you take an order form and, you know, pass it around and fill it out and collect money. Everything now is just online. So you come to our website, you uh, sign up for a fundraiser campaign, and you get a unique code. And all you do with that code is just give it to your peoples. And when they hit the uh, code, it takes them to a store. They purchase the products. Uh, the product is shipped to them. And all you do as a person started is sit back and watch all your friends who uh, went online and bought. So you don't actually have to deal with any money. You don't have to chase people down. You don't even have to get the product and give it to them. You really just send out a code. So for us, once I get the website fully integrated with that, um, that's what we're going to put a massive, massive push on that. That's that's uh, one thing that uh, I really want to get this business going into. So outside of that, Motor City Popcorn, um, you know, we try and do some collaborations with brands. Um, like I say, we, we're doing it, uh, uh, an order now with Domino's Pizza. I'm trying to get Domino's to actually carry it in, our, in their stores. Um, we did have a deal on the table. I don't know if you're familiar with Fago, Fago Pop. Nah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, 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 Fago. yes, yes. Okay, so Fago is, uh, you know, headquartered here in Detroit. Now they expand in, you know, the other cities and states, rather. But we were going to come out with a Fago flavored popcorn. Um, a lot of mumbo jumbo behind the scenes on that. So I think we're going to revisit that and uh, come out with that. I got one that's lined up, man. I'm going to talk about it. Um, kind of ticking me off. But <laughs> um, we were going to come out. If you look at the the, the, the colors here of our, of our spot, uh, we got the blue, we got the yellow, we got the white. Uh, if you're familiar, that is uh, U of M, University of Michigan colors. So we were supposed to come out with a Fab Five popcorn brand. Five flavors of uh, popcorn in one bag. Um, I'm going to put it out there, you know, even though, you know, it wasn't public. But because he know who he is, you better get that deal done uh, so we can get this rolling. But we were supposed to, it's supposed to be in stores now. You know, the Fab Five popcorn brand. Um, so, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I gotta get that one rolling too. So, but that's why I want to do some collaborations. I want to tie in with, you know, existing brands. I want to kind of tie in with some people. So of course, you know, about rap snacks, um, tater chip brand. You familiar with that? Master P. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, here in Detroit, um, there's, uh, there's some people who are, who came out with a potato chip brand 
and they're putting uh, uh, Detroit rappers on the potato chips. So, so uh, you know, Detroit right now got a little buzz going on in the industry with the current rappers. So uh, a few months ago, Ice Cream Vessel, uh, I'm not familiar with him, but he came out with a line of chips. Uh, there's a guy named Peasy. Peasy actually now has the number one song on Spotify, I believe. Uh, it's called Two Million Up. Um, but Peasy's, uh, his brand comes out next week. Um, so I don't necessarily want to, you know, kind of bite that or whatever. But I did want to kind of do a collaboration with some well-known people uh, with our products, you know, things like that. So and we can come out with a special brand for that person, if, you know, so too. So, you know, hey man, all, all, all the old school hip hop, man, we can get some, um, we can get some, some, some light chips, you know, with light salt on them, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Healthy brand of light, light, light popcorn, you know, uh, something like that, you know. We can get some uh, KRS one, you know, what I'm saying one one gram of, of sugar or something. <laughs> you know, we can come out with something like that, you know. Um, and as far as on a DJ tip, uh, I'm, I'm on the real, you know, I'm 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 looking into you know to rebrand uh, myself as a DJ. Um, truthfully, I'm not really uh, trying to be the king of the clubs, anything like that in nature. Um, I do have a dream to to uh, to get on uh get back on Sirius Satellite. Um, even if it's just you know I want to play on Sway's show. You know that's that's one thing I've been I've been itching on. I definitely want to do a guest spot with Sway. And uh, you know one of my mixtape brothers back in the day, Super Superstar J. You know he won't hit me back, but um, mm -hmm. but uh, I want to do a guest spot on his show. I mean if I, I guess spot, I'm cool with that just to get on and play. Yeah. So kind of things like that, man, you know, and uh, like I say, if I can get back into the arena to where I used to, you know, get flown in different cities and just play for, you know, different crowds and things like that, I, I love to do too. So that's really what I'm working on, you know. I'm trying to learn Spanish, you know, so especially next time in New York, I see one of them fine Puerto Ricans, boy, woo, because I seen some up there, boy. You know, I want to say some stuff to her, boy. <laughs> there's, there's a few up there. There's, there's a few there. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, that's what I want to get into. Well, good luck with everything. Once again, I appreciate your time. And, definitely. Uh, definitely. Next time you're in New York, hit me up. Yeah, man. Um, trust me. Like I said, I want to get back to traveling. That, 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 that New York trip, man, it was, it was enlightening. It was enlightening. I'm sure it was, especially after walking like 90 blocks. <laughs> yep, I won't do that again, though. I know how to catch the bus in, in Harlem. I know how to do that now. <laughs> yeah. So once again, DJ Babe, Motor City Popcorn. Check it out. The website, www.motorcitypopcorn.com. If you're in Detroit, stop by. And um, pick up the book as well. That's right. You'll you, you'll 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 laugh. I'll say that. <laughs> Once again, this is Big Said, the industry co-sign, the definition of an entrepreneur, featuring DJ Babe, and um, tune in, and um, thanks once again for tuning in, and till next time, peace. All right. All right.